What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Malari. So today is week seven of the NFL season. I'm going to give you a preview of every single game in the week seven slate. Like I do every week, I'll give a prediction. I'll give you a breakdown of how each team is played offensively, defensively, a couple players to look out for, and I'll give a score prediction and a touchdown score prediction like I've done the last few weeks. Just a fun, it's fun to watch every game and see if I can get some games right of who I think is going to score a touchdown in each individual game. But before doing that, I want to talk about the Giants game last week against the Buffalo Bills. Tough loss for the Giants. Sunday night football, another primetime game for the Giants. The Giants have really struggled in primetime games in the season. But I was really proud of this team. It was a tough loss. The Giants ended up losing, unfortunately, in this one. Didn't go the way the Giants wanted it to. But nobody gave the Giants a chance in this game. And I said in my preview last week that I thought the Giants would surprise the people and be in the game more than people would expect. But after watching the Jets beat the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns beat the San Francisco 49ers, I thought the Giants were going to win that Sunday night game. After watching those two games earlier in the day, I said today's the day of upsets, and I thought the Giants were going to beat the Bills. I really did think the Giants were going to beat the Bills in Sunday night football, and they were right there. They had a very good chance at the end of the game, a chance on the goal line from the one-yard line, set them up first and goal from the one. It was an untimed down, though. Last play of the game with the penalty in the end zone. On the second-to-last play of the game, the Giants got an extra play. Both passes on the second-to-last play of the game and the last play of the game were intended for Darren Waller, the Giants' big red zone target. They got him for a reason to try to help out in the red zone. And Tyra Taylor tried to take advantage of that, tried to throw it up to him. It was a good pass. If Darren Waller wasn't getting grabbed the entire route, he probably catches that ball. He was getting restricted right away, right from the get-go, getting off the line of scrimmage. He was getting ripped. Should have been another penalty. The Giants should have had another chance from the one-yard line. It would have been three chances to try to win the game inside the 10-yard line. Unfortunately, Things didn't go the way for the Giants. They didn't get that call, and that's just the way the NFL goes. The referees didn't want to throw the flag yet again to give the Giants a third shot. And I really can't complain too much about it. It was a penalty, but the Giants have lost games on a call like that. They've won games on a call like that, like against Washington last year. The Giants won a game in the end zone where there was a penalty, I believe, by Donnie Holmes, and Washington should have got another chance, and they didn't. The Giants have won games and lost games by that. I'm not going to say I'm completely upset about that play, even though it should have been another pass interference call, and the Giants should have got the ball at the one. You can't always guarantee that the referee is going to give you a call. It doesn't always go that way. It doesn't always go that way, especially for the Giants and years past. We haven't gotten too many calls to go our way, especially in primetime games late in the game. We get a lot of penalty calls in our defense late in the game. So if it was the reverse and the Giants were on defense on that play and let's say a Josh Allen pass was intended for Stephon Diggs and he was getting held by a defensive back of the Giants, the Bills probably get that call. That's just not the case for the Giants. But I was really proud of their fight. I was really proud of the fight, especially defensively. The Giants showed up on defense and played hard, play-by-play, snap-by-snap. Especially in the first half. If you look at the Josh Allen numbers in the first half of that game, 87 passing yards and 142 yards of offense for the Bills. And the Giants were up at halftime, which the Giants really have never been used to that this season, having a lead at halftime. But at halftime, the Bills had zero points, two turnovers, and 142 total yards. The Giants outgained Buffalo by one yard in the first half. And that was a big reason the Giants had a lead after the first half. The Giants became just the fourth team since 1950 to go their first six games of the season without an offensive touchdown in the first half. Just the fourth team since 1950 to do so. But they found a way to have a lead at halftime in this game. 6-0. Which I'll take at the end of the day, considering how poor the Giants were doing at halftime in just about every single game this season. But a big issue for the Giants has been offense, moving the ball. And in this game, Tyrod Taylor looked comfortable. And even though I think Daniel Jones is still the better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor... A lot of people are going to look at that game and say Tyra Taylor's a better quarterback. He just plays more comfortably. And you're also going to factor in this. Saquon Baku is back healthy. And that's a big difference maker for this offense. When the offense has Saquon out there, it's a lot different and a lot easier to move the ball downfield. 
And Tyra Taylor had the luxury of having Saquon Barkley back there last week. He returned from being out since week two, returned last week to Sunday Night Football, and was there for that Bills game. But Daniel Jones, in the last few games, he was healthy. He didn't have Saquon Barkley. It's a big difference maker having him healthy. So it definitely makes things easier on Tyrod Taylor having Saquon out there. And Daniel Jones didn't have that the last few games. The offensive line is also really bad as well, which Tyrod Taylor was still getting pressured, but he found a way to get rid of the ball quicker. Maybe that's something Daniel Jones has to work on. Getting rid of the ball quicker, reading the play, and getting rid of the ball when he knows he doesn't have to play downfield, which he was really good at that last season. This year, the offensive line was worse than it was last season. Also, they had a good amount of injuries, like Andrew Thomas at left tackle. Evan Neal's been really struggling. John Michael Schmitz has been injured as well as the center for the Giants. And then Saquon Barkley's injured. The Giants really haven't had too much luck with health this season. And in that game, for the majority of it, the Giants had a guy at left tackle who wasn't even on a team until about a week or two ago now and was playing most of the game at left tackle since Josh Azudu went down early in the first quarter. So Justin Pugh, which during the introductions at the beginning of the game, he said Justin Pugh straight off the couch when players are saying the university. He said Justin Pugh straight off the couch. And he wasn't wrong. I mean, he was just signed and then steps in and is already starting on the line at left guard and then had to jump to left tackle once Josh Azudu went down. So credit to Justin Pugh. Being able to get out there after not playing all season and not playing left tackle since I believe 2019, that's a big adjustment. The plan for him last week was to play just 25 snaps on Sunday night. And he ended up playing 77 snaps after tearing an ACL last season and being unsigned till about two weeks ago. So it's obviously a big jump going from the practice squad, being elevated, and then playing, let's say, 25 snaps at left guard, and then all of a sudden have to play left tackle the whole game. That's obviously a big adjustment. But credit to Pugh, he also played well. And if you look at the numbers from the game, he allowed just three pressures at left tackle. A 7.9% pressure rate is what he allowed in that game. The lowest of any Giants tackle in 2023, which is very impressive. He hasn't played tackle really since 2017 for the most part. I think the last time he played tackle was 2019, but the last time he used to play it on a week-to-week basis, I believe, is 2017. But credit to him. I mean, he showed up and he played well. He played well. Just allowed three pressures on the night for an 8% pressure rate. So credit to Justin Pugh. And the Giants offensive line, they played a little better. They weren't great, but they were better than what they were in weeks past. And maybe they looked a little bit since Tyrod Taylor was getting rid of the ball faster. And obviously, credit to Tyrod Taylor, he showed up, he played well. But the Giants still only scored nine points in this game and didn't have an offensive touchdown. So even though Tyrod Taylor was looking pretty comfortable out there, it's not like he lit up the scoreboard and threw for 350 yards and three touchdowns in this game. We were still struggling to put points on the board. The defense is really what stepped up and kept the Giants in this game. So credit to the defense. Credit to the defense. But the Giants are the lowest scoring team in the NFL at under 12 points per game. So this game today is big for this Giants team. They have to find a way to put more points on the board, especially against Washington. They have no option but to score the ball. The Giants need to figure out. At 1-5, there's no really margin for error anymore. They have to figure things out today. In that game last week, Tyra Taylor had 44 dropbacks, three big-time throws, was pressured 19 times, four throwaways with a 43% pressure rate and a 15.8% pressure to sack rate. If you look at Daniel Jones' numbers on the air and 197 dropbacks, Four big-time throws, 91 pressures, six throwaways, a 46% pressure rate, and 31% of his pressures ended up in sacks. If you look at Tyra Taylor, he cut that in half. 16% just about of his pressures ended up in sacks. But one thing I think Tyra Taylor did well in this game, he got rid of the ball fast and played comfortable. And I think at the end of the day, maybe it's the backup quarterback effect, where a guy just steps in with lower expectations since the starting quarterback went down, let's say, with an injury or it could be the starting quarterback struggling and the backup quarterback ends up getting a chance to play. 
a lot of the time the backup quarterback doesn't have the pressure on them that the starting quarterback does, and they can play a little bit more freely. And if they have a big play or two and look a little comfortable, it's easy for fans to jump on that quarterback and say he's the guy and he's better than the starter. I think Tyra Taylor had a very good game, looks very comfortable out there. He definitely had a little bit more poise in the pocket and played more comfortable than Daniel Jones has. But he also had Saquon Barkley out there. And it wasn't like we really lit up the scoreboard and put up three touchdowns without Daniel Jones. That wasn't the case. And the Giants also had a big blunder at halftime. Big blunder at halftime. With 14 seconds left, the Giants lined up in the one-yard line in the first half. 14 seconds left. And first and goal from the one. No timeouts. If you want to throw the ball, you have at least two shots at the end zone. Maybe even three if it's quick passes, which when you're on the one-yard line, they're all going to be quick passes for the most part. But if you roll out, let's say it might cut it down from three plays to two plays if you roll out and take time off the clock. But you guarantee probably two pass plays from the one-yard line and then have the opportunity to kick a field goal and be up 9 nothing at halftime. Unfortunately, the play call was a pass play, and at the line of scrimmage, Tyrod Taylor audibled it to a run, hands it off to Saquon Barkley, and he gets swallowed up by the Bills' defensive line, and the Giants end up with no points at halftime. They had six points going in to halftime, but if they were to get a touchdown, it's 13 points at half. If they get a field goal, it's nine points at half. That's a big difference maker in a game where the Giants end up losing 14-9. to And I don't think that mistake happens if Daniel Jones is out there. I really don't. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but if the Giants had Daniel Jones last week, that mistake doesn't happen. That mistake at halftime doesn't happen if the Giants have Daniel Jones out there last week. I truly believe if the Giants had Daniel Jones, they win that game. And that doesn't mean I don't like Tyrod Taylor. I think Tyrod Taylor is a good quarterback. He obviously played well in that game, had composure in the pocket, got rid of the ball quick, had a lot of deep passes that were very nice, a lot of great touch on a lot of his passes. But I think Daniel Jones, at the end of the day, wouldn't audible to a run play there. He'd know there's only 14 seconds left on the clock. We run the ball and we get stopped inbounds. We're not going to be able to have a shot at the end zone. and We're going to get no points. And that's what ended up happening. It's a big difference maker in the game, which Brian Dable was very upset with Tyra Taylor after playing. Understandably so. I mean, at the end of the day, you always want to get points at halftime when you're on the one yard line. Whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, a couple shots in the end zone, passing the ball, you want a chance to put more points to the board. When you run the ball like that and you get stopped, there's no chance. And also in the second half, Tyra Taylor had a great pass to Jalen Hyde, a 40-yard pass downfield. And unfortunately, it was an ineligible receiver downfield for the Giants, an offensive lineman. And I believe it was Evan Neal, if I remember right. And it ends up taking back the play. A 40-yard gain to Jalen Hyatt. Great pass. Great catch by Jalen Hyatt on the sidelines. And it ends up being taken back, which was a big loss for the Giants. So you combine that. You also combine it with the horrible clock management at the end of the first half. And then also combine it with Darren Wall being hugged on the last play of the game. Which, as I said already in this episode, the Giants probably weren't going to get another chance there. The referee doesn't want to throw the flag yet again there. But it probably should have been pass interference there. It should have been. I mean, he was getting... Held right away from the jump, right at the snap. And if he isn't being held there, Waller makes that catch. He makes that catch. So that's a big difference maker in the game. It really is. But credit to the Giants. They came out and they fought in this game. They were right there. And I always mention on the podcast probably multiple times now, the most beautiful part of the game of football is fourth and goal. And I don't mean fourth and goal in the first quarter when you're just kicking a field goal. I mean fourth and goal at the end of the game when it's fourth and got to have it, the game on the line. You either make a play and you win or you don't make a play and you lose. Offense or defense, it doesn't matter. Fourth and goal, I believe, is the most beautiful part of the game of football because you can go home and be on the highest of highs and win the game, or you can be at the lowest of lows and lose the game right on the goal line, and that's the beauty of it. You either win big or you lose big, but at the end of the day, you have a chance at the end of the game to win, and that's what I love about fourth and goal. The Giants had a chance there. Obviously, it doesn't work out, and it's painful to lose like that, but to have an opportunity, be right there on the goal line, and have a shot. That's when great plays are made. When your back's against the wall, you have no option. Fourth and got to have it. You got to go out there and you got to make a play or you go home and you lose. 
And at the end of the day, it didn't work out for the Giants, but I'm proud of that fight. And as I mentioned, fourth and goal, things either go your way or they don't. But the Giants did have a chance there at the end of the game to win. So credit to them. I'm proud of them for that. I really am. Nobody gave them a chance in that game. And they came out and fought on national television, which has been a struggle for the Giants all season on primetime TV, and really surprised people and gained some respect. And a couple guys I wanted to note for the Giants' defense that showed up, Bobby Okereke, 11 tackles, two tackles for a loss, two passes defended, and also a forced fumble. And the interception that Micah McFadden had went off the hands of Bobby Okereke. He had an unreal game. And then Micah McFadden showed up as well. Seven tackles, a quarterback hit, a pass deflection, and an interception. He showed up and he played great. He's been awesome. Which Okereke and McFadden have been very underrated to start the season. And I saw a statistic a couple days ago. Bobby Okereke and Micah McFadden are among the best linebackers in football in coverage right now. Which you'd never think that. You'd never think that, but that's actually a legitimate fact. Among linebackers with 10 targets faced, Bobby Okereke is 7th in the NFL with a 52.6 passer rating allowed. And then number 4 in the NFL is Micah McFadden with a 49.6 passer rating allowed. And as I said, the minimum targets faced here is 10. But among linebackers, McFadden and Okereke are 4th and 7th in the NFL in lowest passer rating allowed. And they really showed up in this one against Buffalo, so credit to them. And the Giants didn't have any sacks on Josh Allen in this one, but they had a good amount of pressures. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau ends the game with just one tackle, but he had a good amount of pressures and a good amount of chances to sack Josh Allen. He just got out of a couple plays with his great athleticism and found a way to get rid of the ball. But the Giants did have pressure on Josh Allen. They did. They were finding ways to get to him in the backfield. Even though they end up with no sacks, the pressure was there, which that gives me hope for today's game that the Giants could turn that pressure into sacks. Because that's what Seattle was doing. Before they played the Giants a few weeks ago, they were low in sacks. They were generating a lot of pressure in the weeks prior to playing the Giants. And then in that Monday Night Football game as the Giants, they completely took over the game and were hitting Daniel Jones every other play. And those pressures became sacks. So I'm hoping that's the case today for the Giants. So Tyra Taylor finished the game 24-36 passing, 200 yards even, had five carries to 23 yards. And then Saquon Barkley, 24 carries and 93 yards. Wanda Robinson was great in the game. Eight catches on eight targets for 62 yards with 24 yards after the catch. Darren Waller, five catches on seven targets for 42 yards. Had a chance at the end of the game. Two plays, two passes intended for him in the end zone. He was actually held on both plays. Gets a call on one of them. The second one he doesn't. At the end of the day, as I said, I'm proud of this team for how much they fought. It obviously would be nice to be 2-4 and four at this point rather than being 1-5. and five. But you can't go backwards at the end of the day. And as I said, there's still a lot of season left. There's still a lot of season left. If you look at the Giants' upcoming schedule, they have Washington today, then the Jets, then the Raiders, then the Cowboys, then the Commanders, then the Patriots, and then a bye week. So before the bye week, I legitimately think the Giants could be back to 6-6. Six and six. I legitimately believe that. If they beat Washington today, beat the Jets, beat the Raiders, lose to the Cowboys and beat the Commanders, and then beat the Patriots, they'll be 6-6 six and six at their bye week. So I still believe in this team. There's still a lot of season left to figure things out and to get back on track. The season isn't over yet, and nobody's won the Super Bowl in Week 7. There's still a lot of season left and a lot of football left to be played. And Leonard Williams had a great quote this week. He said the Giants still have five NFC East games left, and it's still not too late to turn it around, especially if we win our division. He still believes, I still believe, there was a lot of good things from that game on Sunday night that the Giants could take into this game today against Washington and take into the rest of the season. The defense looks phenomenal. So that's one positive. The defense looked great against the Buffalo Bills and held them to zero points in the first half, and the Giants lost 14-9. And even though the offense only put up nine points, they did have opportunities to win that game at the end. 
So it showed the Giants still can win games, even if it's a low-scoring one. I never thought the Giants could win a game against Buffalo with under 20 points. But if the Giants found a way to score at the end of the first half, or if they scored a touchdown at the end of the game on the one-yard line, they would have won with under 20 points against the Buffalo Bills, which you'd never expect. But a lot of guys showed up in that defense. Dexter Lawrence has been phenomenal all season, and he showed up in that game on Sunday night and had a big presence, as he always does. He always finds a way to show up for the Giants and makes plays. Every single week, he makes plays. And I was proud of that offensive line. You have a guy at left tackle, and Justin Pugh was just signed a couple weeks ago off the couch, like he said. And then at the other positions on the offensive line, it was a makeshift offensive line everywhere. Ben Bredesen, Evan Neal, Mark Lewinsky, Marcus McKeithen. And then Azudu, as I said, did go down earlier in the game. He was playing at left tackle to start the game that ended up going down with then, I believe, in the first 10 snaps on offense for the Giants. But they had a makeshift offensive line left and right. Guys that were late-round draft picks, like Marcus McKeithen. Mark Lewinsky, who's been really struggling to begin the year. He played pretty well, though, last week. Ben Bredesen at center, which he's more of a guard. He does have experience at center, but he's more of a guard. But he had to play center in this game since the Giants didn't have John Michael Schmitz. A big loss on the offensive line with his injury. And then also Evan Neal at right tackle, who has really struggled in the first year and a half of his NFL career. But there's still a lot of games left to figure things out for him. At least I'm holding out hope that he could turn things around. And he looked pretty good in this game. Even though it wasn't a great game, he looked a lot better than he has in weeks past. He looked a lot better. I'm just happy to see him improving. He had a better game last week than he did in the week before. So that's obviously a positive for the Giants' offensive line. Seeing him doing better is huge for that offensive line. And some other guys did better as well. McKeithen obviously improved a little. Kalinsky looked very good last week. Even though he did struggle early in the season, got an opportunity last week, stepped in off the bench, and looked decent for the Giants' offensive line. So the offensive line did look better. And part of the reason is Tyra Taylor was getting rid of the ball pretty quick. So that's one thing Daniel Jones might have to work on, is getting rid of the ball fast. But I still think Daniel Jones is the more talented quarterback, and I still think you have a better chance to win with Daniel Jones. Tyra Taylor just plays with a little more comfortability and plays with a little bit more poise in the pocket. And that's something Daniel Jones will have to learn. But keep this in mind, Saquon Barkley was out there for Tyrod Taylor. It's a lot different handing the ball off to Saquon Barkley since the defense has to bite on every play action and always have to keep themselves on their toes with Saquon Barkley out there than it is with Daniel Jones having to hand it off to Matt Breida. Defenses do not have to account for Matt Breida like they do Saquon Barkley. Anyways, I want to dive into some of the Giants inactives for today's game versus Washington. Daniel Jones will be out for yet another game. Dory Jackson, John Michael Schmitz, Evan Neal, Matt Pert, Andrew Thomas, and Jordan Riley are all inactives for today's game. Tough to see Dory Jackson out with a neck injury. Big loss for the secondary. John Michael Schmitz, Evan Neal, Matt Pert, Andrew Thomas, four offensive linemen all out for this game. Three of those guys being starters for the Giants in week one. So that's obviously going to be tough today considering the Giants have had a makeshift offensive line every single game this season. With Daniel Jones out for another game, it'll be Tyrod Taylor back at quarterback under center and a must-win game for the Giants. It would have been nice for the Giants to win that game last week versus Buffalo, but being able to win today against Washington will be nice. It's obviously a building block that lost to Buffalo. If they can beat Washington today, then beat the Jets and beat the Raiders, the Giants will be right back in the mix of things. And one other thing I want to note about that game, which I forgot to mention, was that Matt Breida had a run right before the Giants' last field goal attempt that probably should have been a first down, but the mocking of where the ball was placed on the field wasn't a good spot, and the Giants end up having to kick a field goal rather than trying to get a touchdown there. So that's obviously a big loss and another potential opportunity for the Giants to get more points that they end up missing out on, unfortunately. Hopefully the Giants can use that game last week that was a building block and turn things around for the rest of the season. Today's game against Washington is a must-win game, in my opinion. It's a home game. It's a legacy game for the Giants. And at the end of the day, the Giants have been so bad at home, they can't do any worse than they've done at home all season. The Giants have been outscored 64-3 to in their two home losses this season. 
And to make matters worse, the Giants haven't scored an offensive touchdown in the last 205 minutes. The last 205 minutes of game time, the Giants have not scored a touchdown in, which is very disappointing. And they haven't scored a first-half touchdown all season. So today I'm looking for the Giants to score a touchdown early in the game and get some momentum for the rest of the game. Hopefully Tyrod Taylor can find a way to get rid of the ball quick like he did last week. Didn't let himself get sacked too much last week. Got rid of the ball quick. As with Daniel Jones, 31% of his pressures this year have become sacks. Second worst in the NFL. That's something he has to get better with. But maybe watching film on Tyrod Taylor could help him. Maybe watching Tyrod Taylor get rid of the ball quick. And maybe looking downfield and seeing, okay, what's Tyrod Taylor looking at? What am I looking at? What would I do in this situation? What did Tyrod do? Maybe that could help Daniel Jones get better. There's still a lot of season left to go, and I've not given up yet. I'm not giving up on this season. There's still a lot of season left to go, and nobody's won the Super Bowl yet. It's a week-to-week league. Every single week, there are upsets. Every single week, people are making different opinions of plays than they had last week. It's a week-to-week league. As for the Commanders, they're looking pretty healthy coming into this game. The complete reverse of the Giants. The Giants have a lot of injuries heading into this one. The Commanders, on the other hand, are healthy. Sam Howell's the quarterback. He's been sacked on 34% of his pressures this season, which is the most in the NFL. He holds on to the ball for too long. That's been a big issue for him on the film that I've seen. He's still learning pocket awareness, which is a big jump from playing college football to the NFL. I'd imagine Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Giants, will blitz him a ton today to force him to make a mistake. That's something that he's done in the past, especially with an inexperienced quarterback. He tries to blitz a ton, try to make them make a mistake, like he did to Brock Purdy. Blitz Brock Purdy, I believe, 84% of the time in that game early this season for San Francisco. That didn't really work out to the Giants' advantage. They did force some bad passes to Brock Purdy. They didn't get an interception, unfortunately. Today, I think that's different, though. Sam Howell has shown that he has struggled against pressure, and he has forced himself to make some bad throws when he's under pressure. So if the Giants can get two to three sacks today and maybe get an interception or two, that could be a game changer. Because the Demons played great last week. And I'd imagine the Giants' offense will put up more than nine points today. So I think the Giants can win this game. I really do. I think they're going to score more than nine points today. And I think the defense will force a couple turnovers yet again. And this time get two or three sacks, unlike last week versus Buffalo. Something has to give, though. The Giants have five sacks on defense this season, which is the worst in the NFL. And the Washington offensive line has let Sam Howell get sacked 34 times, which is the worst in the NFL. So something has to give. Washington's offensive line's been bad. And the Giants' pass rush hasn't been getting sacks all season. Something's got to give in this game. I think the Giants win that battle today, though. The Giants' defense has found a way to get turnovers over the last few weeks. Five takeaways in the last two games against Buffalo and Miami after zero in the first four games. So that's obviously a big thing. The Giants need to force some turnovers today and help the offense out, putting them in good field position. And another thing the Giants need, they need Kayvon Thibodeau to keep making plays. He has four sacks in his last four games, and he put some pressure on Josh Allen last week. Didn't get any sacks, but he forced him to get out of the pocket a few times last week. The Giants need a sack from him today, and I'd hope for four or five pressures from him, especially considering the Giants are going to be blitzing a ton. Somebody's going to be able to get to Sam Howell and put pressure on him. I'm hoping that's Kayvon Thibodeau. The defense has been a strong suit, though, for the Giants over the last couple games. They've been stepping up, and that's obviously a great thing to see. With the Dory Jackson out of today's game, though, Deontay Banks needs to step up for the Giants in the secondary. He's probably going to be on Terry McLaurin, I'd imagine, and that also probably means more snaps for Cordell Flott which means he's probably going to go up against maybe Jahan Dotson or Curtis Samuel. The secondary has to be ready for McLaurin, Dotson, and Samuel. Three receivers who are dangerous. They all have good hands. They all have speed. I'm hoping the Giants' secondary is ready for them today. Without Dory Jackson, it is a loss. I do have a feeling, though, Jason Pannock is going to step up today and make a big play. He's had a good season. Had a pick six against Miami. I'm hoping he can make a big play like that today. I feel like Wanda Robinson is going to have a big game for the Giants' offense. I'm hoping for, like, six catches for, let's say, 50 yards and a touchdown. 
The touchdown's probably wishful thinking, but I'm hoping he gets around six catches on eight targets for 60 yards. He's been very good, though, over the season so far when he's been getting targeted since coming back from his injury. I'm hoping today is a big game. I think the Giants win this game 27-20. There's still a lot of season left to go, a lot of time left to stack some wins. I haven't completely given up on the season. Nobody's won the Super Bowl yet. It's only week seven. Let's try to build. Let's get a win today and get ourselves back on track. So the next game I'm going to talk about is the Browns at the Colts. Deshaun Watson will play in this game for Cleveland, which is big for their offense. Last week, Cleveland beat San Francisco with P.J. Walker quarterback, which is crazy. I mean, that was the biggest upset of the weekend, I'd say, even though the Jets beat the Eagles was a big upset. I feel like the 49ers losing, though, is a bigger upset in my eyes. Even though the 49ers and Eagles are both undefeated heading into last week, I think the Cleveland win is more impressive. And I know that was my prediction last week. I had an upset take there with Cleveland winning that game. And it was because of that fight before the game. I thought Cleveland would have a spark because the 49ers started with them before the game. They had a fight, a big scuffle right before the game began. And I thought it would give the Browns an edge. I thought they were going to play with an edge and a chip on their shoulder. And that's what happened. They got a big win. The Browns' defense has been elite. They forced a lot of bad throws last week for Brock Purdy. Miles Garrett has been a, the best pass rusher in the NFL, I'd say, this season. Just a pure pass rusher, big guy. Uses his size very well. He's been awesome this season for the Browns' defense. As for the Colts, they got Gardner Minshew starting a quarterback with Anthony Richardson out for the season. He's moved the ball well for them at quarterbacks and stepping in. A veteran quarterback that's been around the league now for the last five or six years. I think the Browns win this game 28-24, and my touchdown scorer of the game is Amari Cooper. Next up, we have the Raiders at the Bears. Backup quarterbacks facing off on each side. Tyler Bajant is a starting quarterback for the Bears, former Division II quarterback for Shepard University. Bajant holds the Division II record for all-time passing yards and total touchdowns. 17,000 total passing yards and 171 total touchdowns in his career. Also the most touchdown passes of all time in NCAA Division II history with 159. He threw 94 total touchdowns between 30 games in his last two seasons of college football in 2021 and 2022. As for the Raiders, they'll be starting Brian Horror at quarterback with Jimmy G out for today's game. The last start he had came in week four of last season for the Patriots. The Raiders are coming off a big win against the Patriots last week, 21-17. They're even now on the season at 3-3. Three and three. I think this will be a very close battle. I think Bajant will throw for around 225 yards and a touchdown. I'm rooting for him to do well, considering he's a Division II quarterback and underdog his whole career, obviously, from college to make it to the NFL from Division II. That's obviously a great story, so I'm rooting for him to get a big game today. I think the Raiders, though, with a better team, even though the Raiders' defense isn't great, I still think they're still capable of moving the ball with Josh Jacobs healthy, Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, and you also have to look off at Max Crosby on defense. I think the Raiders eke out a win here today, 20-17. to They've scored under 20 offensive points in all six games this season. And they're the first team to do that since the 2014 Jacksonville Jaguars. So the 20-17 to 17 win will be a very close one. And it's just like every single game they've had this season. Not really much offense. And my touchdown score of the game in this one is DJ Moore. Next up, we have the Lions at the Ravens. The Lions are 5-1. and one, The Ravens are 4-2. and two. Jameer Gibbs is active for Detroit in today's game. The Lions do not have David Montgomery, though, in their backfield. So it looks like Gibbs will get the majority of the workload there in the backfield. Detroit's offense has been electric to start the season. 28 points per game on average, which is fourth best in the NFL. The Ravens will likely have Marwin Humphrey, which is big for their secondary. But they will not have Marcus Williams. So that's a big loss there. They've been banged up just about all season. The Ravens' D is allowing 260 yards per game which is second best in the NFL, and they're only giving up 15.2 points per game, which is fourth best in the NFL. So their defense has really shown up to play this year, and they also have 24 sacks, which is number one in the NFL. I like Baltimore to win this game 31-21 with a touchdown score for Mark Andrews. I feel like being home here is big for Baltimore, considering both teams are pretty evenly matched here, 5-1, and 4-2. Both teams have a good offense. Both teams have some good plays on defense as well. 
I think it's a pretty even game. I'm going to give Baltimore the edge here being the home team. And I think they win by just about two scores, maybe a garbage time field goal to make it a two-possession game late in the game. I think it'll be a close one for the majority of it, but I think Baltimore wins this one 31-21. Next up, we have the Bills at the Patriots. The Bills nearly lost last week to the Giants. And as I said earlier in the episode, I think if Daniel Jones is the Giants quarterback in that game, they win. Because I don't think that halftime failure would have been a thing if Daniel Jones was a quarterback. I know Tyrod Taylor is a veteran quarterback. He's seen a lot of looks. He looked at the play right before he audibled it to a run because he thought the Giants would be able to score on it. But you got to look at the time, see 14 seconds left. I don't think that happens if Daniel Jones is the quarterback. They probably get two shots in the end zone passing the ball. And Daniel Jones hasn't had that great of a season passing the ball, obviously. But if he gets rid of the ball quicker and has a little bit of time to throw, I think he can still be a dangerous quarterback. I still believe in Daniel Jones. But as I said already, rooting for Tyrod Taylor to do well. He has looked good. Last week, he looked pretty good for the Giants. Hoping today is the same. As for the Bills, though, I think they're overrated. I think they've been overrated for years now. It's the same story every single year. Josh Allen and the Bills are the favorite to win the MVP and win the Super Bowl. And every single year, it's the same result, it feels like. So I feel like it's only a matter of time until Stephon Diggs wants out and asks for a trade. I think he's hinted at that over the last couple of years. As for the Patriots, their offensive line has been abysmal. It's really halted the success of Ramondre Stevenson and halted the success of the entire offense, I'd say. Because when Stevenson can't run the ball, it makes it harder on the quarterback to pass, considering... When the defense knows you can't run the ball, they're going to force you to try to make some throws. And at the end of the day, that's the problem with Mac Jones. The offensive line's poor, doesn't have much time to throw, and all the receivers are wide receiver threes at best. Very poor weapons there for the Patriots. It's not really much around Mac Jones. And he also has a fan base that completely wants him gone. Like I said now, over my last couple episodes when I've talked with the Patriots, I still feel like Mac Jones isn't the biggest issue on this team. Even though he hasn't played great this season, I still feel like the offensive line and the weapons are failing Mac Jones. I really do feel like that's the case. He has no time to throw. And if you look at the run game, really, is there. Zeke Elliott has been better this season than Ramondre Stevenson. And the wide receivers are wide receiver threes at best. Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, these are all wide receiver threes. Maybe wide receiver twos at best, because Juju was that basically last season for the Chiefs. But I'd say wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes for the most part of this offense. And that's not really a recipe for success for Mac Jones. And when the fan base is completely against you, you lose your confidence. So that's why I feel bad for Mac Jones. I think the Patriots can hang around in this one. I think the Bills come home with the win here. A very close game, though. I think they win this one 24-20. And my touchdown score of the game is Gabe Davis. Hoping for a touchdown for him. I haven't fantasy football starting him today. Hoping for a score for me. He had a quiet game last week versus the Giants. Hoping for a bounce-back game for him. I do think the Bills are overrated, though. The Giants found a way to stay in the game last week. I think the Patriots being home this week will stay in the game versus Buffalo. But I think Buffalo finds a way to win just at the end of the game, 24-20. Next up, we have the Falcons at the Bucks. I think this game will be a toss-up. It's a game I'm really looking forward to watching. Baker Mayfield did struggle in his last game against Detroit. 206 passing yards and an interception. So I think he's going to bounce back in today's game. Atlanta's 3-3 to start the season. The Bucs are at 3-2. Atlanta lost last week to Washington, 24-16 in a close battle. Desmond Ritter had a better game passing the ball for the most part, but he still made some brutal mistakes. Three interceptions, but he did have 307 passing yards, which is unlike him for the most part this season, and also had two passing touchdowns. But the issue for him was trying to force passes, especially late in the game, and throwing into tight windows. He needs to be better with that. He needs to do that less and just hit the guy that's open in the flat rather than throwing over the middle of the field into double coverage to try to make something happen. Three interceptions. It was a brutal game last week, but they still only lost by one possession to Washington. That's a game they could have won. I like Atlanta to win this game today in a close battle, 31-27, with my touchdown score being Drake London. I think it'll be a high-scoring game, and I like Atlanta to win this one. Next up, we have the Cardinals at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are 3-2. and two. The Arizona Cardinals are 1-5. and five. I like Arizona to stay close to this game. They're a team that I've really grown to like this season. I started rooting for them around week three or four, maybe. 
And I just watched a good amount of the games after that. I saw them just play hard week in and week out. So credit to Gannon, their coach. He's found a way to get a lot out of them. Arizona's allowing 27 points per game this season, which is 27th in the NFL. While Seattle's 8th best at points per game at 25 points per game on offense. So that's obviously going to be an uphill battle for Arizona or defense trying to stop the Seattle offense. I think Josh Dobbs will have a couple touchdowns today. And I'm hoping one to Michael Wilson. That'll be my touchdown score of the game. I like Michael Wilson a lot. Hoping to see him more involved this week. I'm hoping he gets maybe around four or five catches for, let's say, 45 yards and a touchdown. I think Seattle wins this game, though, 27-21. Next up, we have the Steelers at the Rams. The Rams will not have Kyron Williams in this game. He was placed on the IR and missed the next four games. It's a big loss to their backfield. They will also not have backup running back Ronnie Rivers in this one. So without Kyron Williams and Ronnie Rivers, we'll see what this backfield looks like. They got Daryl Henderson there and Royce Freeman as well. So we'll see who ends up being the leader of that backfield. Kyron Williams out. Williams has been a big fantasy football player to begin this season. I'd say he's probably one of the biggest league winners in the NFL this year. Not many people saw him breaking out this season. I didn't see it happening. I thought Cam Akers was going to be that guy in the backfield. But he's been great. So credit to Williams. Hopefully he comes back healthy. I know the Rams offense will miss him. But they do have Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, and Matt Stafford. They're capable of moving the ball downfield no matter who their running back is. As for the Steelers, they're 3-2 and two to begin the season. But they're 30th in the NFL in points per game. It's just 16 points per game scored. And have really struggled moving the ball. Their defense is 20th in the NFL in points per game allowed, with an average of 22 points allowed per game. And their offense has been weak. So a bottom 10 defense almost, and a bottom 3 offense to begin the year. And the Rams' defense has really stepped up this season. So the Steelers' offense hasn't been great this season, 30th in the NFL in points per game. And the Rams' defense has been great to begin the year, just 19.5 points per game allowed, which is 11th best in the NFL. They're a team that I saw having around nine wins before the season began, and they're on pace for that and more right now, the way things currently stand. I felt like they were an underrated team, an underrated roster with Matt Stafford fully healthy, and obviously Aaron Donald and a great head coach at Sean McVay. I just felt like where they were getting valued at before the season began, I thought they were underrated. And now you see why that roster is still good enough to win nine games and maybe be a potential playoff team in the NFC. As for what I think is going to happen in this game today, I think the Rams win this one 27-17, and my touchdown score is Puka Nakua. Next up, we have the Chargers at the Chiefs. The Chargers have put together a good stretch of games, winning against Minnesota, beating the Las Vegas Raiders, and then a close loss last week to the Dallas Cowboys 2017 in Monday Night Football. Justin Herbert probably had his worst game of the year last week, 59% completion percentage, 227 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Just didn't make enough happen, but the offensive line was definitely an issue in that one. Dallas' pass rush is legit, though. Micah Parsons was big in that game, a sack and three quarterback hits. As for the Chiefs, they're 5-1 to begin the season, averaging 24.5 points per game, which is 10th best in the NFL. Their defense has been their strongest unit so far to begin the season, which is very surprising. I think a lot of people would consider offense their biggest strength, but I'd say their defense has been the biggest strength to begin the season. Just 15 points per game allowed, which is second best in the NFL, and they're giving up just the fifth least amount of yards per game on defense, which is unreal. That defense came ready to play this season, and Chris Jones being back has been huge for that defensive line. As for the Chargers' defensive line, they need Joey Boza, Khalil Mack, and company to have a big game against Patrick Mahomes if they want to win today. The Chargers have 21 sacks on the season, which is third best in the NFL, and they're going to need a good amount today to force Patrick Mahomes to make a mistake. This roster is good enough to contend. Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen. I mean, the list goes on. Gerald Everett, Zion Johnson, Derwin James, Asante Samuel Jr., Joey Boza, Khalil Mack. I just think they need a better head coach. Even with that being said, though, I think this game today will be a close one. It seems like every time the Chargers and the Chiefs play, it's always a close game. And considering they always have a close game, and I haven't really had too many upset picks here in my predictions this week, I'm going to go with the Chargers winning this one 27-24. Shout out to my boy, ClipK74 on YouTube. Go check out his page. 
With the NBA season just around the corner this coming week starting, go check out his page. He covers everything from the Clippers, the NBA, and has just started to talk about some other sports as well. He we talked about the Chargers in an episode last week after Monday Night Football. Go check out his page. Love listening to his talk about the NBA and the Clippers. So I'm going to go with the Chargers winning this one. So shout out Clip K74, as I said. And my touchdown score of the game is Austin Eckler. The next game is the Packers at the Broncos. The Packers are 2-3 on the season. Denver's at 1-5. Denver's allowing 172 yards per game on the ground, which is worst in the NFL. So I'd imagine Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have big games today on the ground. Both offenses around the middle of the pack in the NFL with Green Bay 13th in points per game and Denver at 17th. The issue for Denver on the season has been turnovers. 11 turnovers on offense, which is 27th in the NFL. And the defense has been bad, giving up 33 points per game, which is dead last in the NFL. And they're also dead last in yards per game allowed at 440. And they also have a minus six turnover differential. So this team has been a complete disaster to begin the season. Russell Wilson has been better than most people would expect heading into the season. I didn't really see him having a good season this year, but he's had a quiet bounce back year. 12 touchdowns, four picks. But it's still not enough to put some wins together for this team. And it seems like his time in Denver is dwindling. But I think they have a ton of problems besides Russell Wilson and his big contract. I think he's been one of the better players for this team, I'd say, to begin the season. But I do think his time in Denver is dwindling. As for my prediction in this game, I think Green Bay wins this game 24-21 with a touchdown from Christian Watson. Jordan Love has been really struggling over the last three games. Two touchdowns to six picks, which is a big worry. He hasn't really looked good over the last three. But I think Green Bay is going to rely on the run game a lot today considering how poor Denver's run defense is. And I think they pick up a win 24-21. Next up, we have the Dolphins at the Eagles. Five and one teams both going at it on Sunday Night Football. A great matchup. A game I'm really looking forward to watching tonight. Two elite offenses. 37 points per game for Miami, which is number one in the NFL. Philadelphia, 26 points per game, which is fifth best in the NFL. So two very high-scoring offenses. And they're also first and second in the NFL in yards per game. Miami at 499 yards per game in offense. Philadelphia, 395. Miami's offense has been ridiculous to start the season. Two has been awesome. 313 passing yards per game. 14 touchdowns, five picks. The Dolphins are a team that I picked to win the Super Bowl before the season began. And I'm happy to see them doing such big things. Their defense hasn't been phenomenal to begin the season giving up 26 points per game, which is 26 in the NFL. But they really haven't needed too much out of them considering how good their offense has been. They are number one, though, in quarterback hits at 52 and number three in sacks with 21 on the season. I'm excited to see Philly's run defense go up against the Miami Dolphins rushing attack with Jeff Wilson being back for the Miami Dolphins backfield. That's big with Devon Achan being out. Having Jeff Wilson back and having him next to Raheem Ostert is obviously big for that backfield. And Philly's run defense has been great, giving up just 66 yards per game on the ground, which is top three in the NFL. And if you look at Miami's rushing attack, they're averaging 182 rushing yards per game, which is number one in the NFL. So a great run defense against a great run offense. Two attack of Loa versus Jalen Hurts. Obviously another great matchup as well for my teammates at Alabama. I'm sure they're going to talk about that a lot on the broadcast tonight. And then Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Two Alabama receivers going at it in this game. It's going to be a fun one to watch. I think Miami is the better team here. I think they win this one 31-27. I think Miami wants to win this game, though. They're going to need to force a couple turnovers from Jalen Hurts. And I think they're going to need two attack of Loa to have some big-time throws in this one. Considering how good that Philadelphia Eagles run defense is, they're going to probably force two attack low to throw the ball. So I'm excited to see this matchup. As I said, I do think the Dolphins win this one, though. In a high-scoring Sunday Night Football battle, I'm going to go with Miami winning this one 31-27. And my touchdown score of the game is Devontae Smith. So the last game of the Week 7 slate is the 49ers at the Minnesota Vikings. Christian McCaffrey is questionable for this game, but according to reports this morning, it seems like he will play in this one tomorrow night. The 49ers will not have Debo Samuel, though, for a few games, which is a big loss for their offense. They're coming off a brutal loss last week to Cleveland, and even though I thought Cleveland would win that game right before game time after the scuffle, it's still crazy to see the Cleveland Browns with P.J. Walker beat the 49ers. I mean, not many people would ever expect that. 
Brock Purdy had his worst game in the NFL, and I think part of the reason he really struggled in that one was because he was put in a situation that was uncomfortable for him. He's not really used to not having a lead late in the game and having to come back and make a big play in the fourth quarter. And even though he did set the 49ers up for a potential game-winning field goal at the end of the game, he's not really used to playing down in games. This was a game where he really struggled, 12 of 27 passing, 44% complete percentage, 125 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Chris McCaffrey only had 43 yards on the ground in this one. But I think the thing with Purdy is he's never really been uncomfortable. It's something that he's not really used to in the NFL. He's usually having a comfortable lead late in the second half, has time to throw typically, his defense is usually playing great, and he typically has a great group of skilled players around him. But in this one, that wasn't the case. Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel both went down in this one with an injury, and it forced Brock Purdy to have to make plays without those guys around, and he didn't really do well without those guys. He didn't. He really struggled. And as for the Vikings, they may be without Justin Jefferson in this one, but they found a way to put together three good games in a row. And even if two of them are against two bad teams, two of the worst teams in football in the Carolina Panthers and the Chicago Bears, they beat those two teams. They only lost by seven to Kansas City. It seems like a lot of primetime games are closer than people expect them to be. And I think that's going to be the case in this one. I think the Vikings will keep this one close, but I think San Francisco wins this game 27-24. And my touchdown score of the game is Jordan Addison. Anyways, it will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.